over summer, we're having a little break at tea with the Queen, but that doesn't mean you're left empty-handed. I'd like to share with you some earlier interviews from Season 2. Our listeners love all our stories, but these ones in particular stood out. Please enjoy. Hello, I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you and that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. Do you have an unhealthy relationship with money? Do you charge less than what you're worth because of some old assumption about what you have to offer? My guest today is here to help. Money mentor Denise Stuffield-Thomas helps entrepreneurs release their fear of money and charge premium prices. She does this by removing those mental barriers that hold them back from their dreams. She's written several books, including Lucky Bitch and Get Rich Lucky Bitch. Her latest is Chill and Prosper, the new way to grow your business, make millions and change the world. It's an update to her successful chillpreneur. Denise leads by example. As you'll hear, she's unapologetic about living the lifestyle she wants while raising three beautiful kids. Denise, welcome to Tea with the Queen. God, thank you so much. I'm so excited. It's good to have tea with the Queen, I reckon. I want to jump straight in and ask a couple of questions. But before we do, we spend our whole lives in school never really learning about money. I've got three daughters. I'm feeling that frustration. For most of us, our parents didn't educate us deeply about money. Are people uncomfortable, do you think, with their relationship with money and finances? Or is it born out of ignorance? Well, you know what? It's so many different things. I I wasn't really good with numbers as a kid. And so I really felt like money and numbers were kind of the same thing, which they kind of are in lots of ways. But I, I felt like because I, I wasn't good with, you know, calculating numbers that I also wouldn't be good even just taking care of money. And I didn't learn anything about interest rates and things like that or anything. But the studies show that often girls even get less pocket money than boys do. And often the money that they do get, the parents then say, well, I'll buy that for you. And so they don't even get a chance to even touch money and play with money in the same way that boys do from an early age. So there's a lot of things. There's cultural stuff. There's just gender stuff. There's also the the time that you were born in, you know, what were the conversations around women and money? My mum and my grandma couldn't teach me about money because my grandmother ne- never had a credit card. She couldn't get a bank loan, you know. And so we- we've just seen this opportunity now where we can talk a bit more openly about money because we personally have more experiences with earning more money, even to the point that my son, I remember like last year he was saying something like, 
daddies can be bosses too. And I was like, yeah, they can. I forgot that you haven't seen the other side of it. And even sometimes saying to my daughter, Willow, who's eight, even she'll say something like, what, women weren't allowed to vote? Like it's just alien to her. And I almost don't even want to talk about things like that because it even kind of sets up that expectation of, well, you should be really grateful that things are different, whereas I don't want her to even think that way. So it's just the time that we live in. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to me, when I wrote my book, I did some research around the pocket money thing and the fact that pocket money, that that does start at about the seven-year-old mark, but also that still today, which blows my mind because I also have an eight-year-old, boys get paid more for outside jobs than girls get paid for inside jobs. It's just, it drives me insane. So I I hear you and I think it's really interesting if we can get them at a young age and educate them. I think credit cards is tough to implement with kids because I just, and that's why I love Monopoly, right? Because you get to actually have the money in your hand and you get to see what it looks like. And I think credit cards makes things a bit more difficult for kids too now to even understand the concept of cash. Well, even after pay and all of those those things, I would have gotten in so much trouble (laughs) with that kind of credit because, you know, especially when your brain hasn't quite developed, you have that instant gratification need. And I got in heaps of trouble as soon as someone could give me a credit card I got in tons of trouble because we just don't understand that. And I think all we can do really with our kids is at least have honest conversations about it. Because one of Willow's friends told her that money itself is a dirty word. It's a swear word. Whoa. Yeah. It's a bit extreme. (laughs) And Willow was like, no, because we speak honestly about money. And I've said to her, you know, money doesn't make us better than anyone else, doesn't make us worse than anyone else. Money is a tool. And trying to have age-appropriate conversations is yes. really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So hard. So hard. It's a challenge every day. Even age-appropriate conversations about anything is tricky. You know, like I think about talking about death and trying to explain, <laughs> anyway, those concepts. On your website, you ask people to think of you as a colonic irrigation technician. <laughs> but for their finances, I love it. And because I know a little bit about you, I understand that. But for those that don't, what do you mean? Well, funnily enough, I'm actually getting a colonic this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay, no, this is relevant. People might not like this poop kind of talk. But the last couple of months, I was feeling just really irritated all the time and I couldn't figure out why. And I was having all these secondary problems and it actually turned out I was like chronically constipated. Yeah, so I had to go and, you know, see someone to do colonics. But it was more than that. It was saying, she was saying, you need to put these habits into place so this doesn't happen again. And the thing about money is that people think, of course I want more money. Why wouldn't I want more money? And then they start a business and they just have these unexplained weird feelings about money and it makes them feel sick. It makes them feel guilty. It makes them feel afraid. And you have to look at that. You have to be able to identify that and put those habits into place to make sure you've got a healthy money mindset. And it's ongoing. It's not just a one and done thing because we're humans. We make stories up about different things. We have all of our own experiences. We live in a world where it is scary to do something that's 
different to other people. And um, yeah, so I just, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant, but I'm really good at asking those questions and just letting people let go of some of those old stories because they didn't even know that they had them. Um, And I come at it from a real place of curiosity of going, let's just ask some questions together and then see what comes up because we're smart. We're smart. We know how to write a blog post. We know how to self-publish a book. You can buy a course on how to do anything in business, but without really looking at what's holding us back on the inside, we're always going to feel stuck. We're always going to feel creatively constipated. So I just put that on there as just like a little bit of a joke, but it kind of is true that it feels, it feels real. It feels really stuck. Yeah, right. That makes so much sense. And for the clients that I work with, one of the things that we talk about almost immediately is what's your pricing strategy and how do you get paid what you're worth? And they're all undercharging. And as soon as they tweak that, so many things unlock, but also different level of money mindset, right? Well, it is. Yeah, because it's pricing is one of the hardest things because if you work for someone else, they set the price of everything and it's impersonal. And then you work for yourself and it feels like you're making a value judgment on your own self of going, I'm so good or, and it feels really personal. Yes. Especially if you're working under your own name. I work with a lot of people that women, especially that work under their own name, like you and I do. And I think sometimes they're just too attached to the pricing element to their self-worth. Or I would rather than detach and just go, you know what? It's not personal. Here's what it is. And also just charge what you're worth because you're worth normally, they're worth much more than what they're charging. And it's personal. That's the problem is that we like, I mean, I did this and I see everyone do it. They look at what everyone else is charging. And the problem is everyone's got money box. So, you, so you're just kind of taking on all their stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. How do you suggest people change their mindset about money? I mean, it's, as I said, it's lifelong work, but where do we start? Right. So when <laughs> yeah. I, because <laughs> I'm still finding new nuances all the time, but where I get um, people to start in my money boot camp is I just say, just write a list of anything that you can think of, like a, a money memory that you can think of. And I give them some prompts, you know, think about things that your parents used to say all the time or, you know, what what came up for you around school. Tell me about your jobs. You know, we kind of write a list. I've got a bit of a shortcut one these days that when, I, when I'm curious about someone's money, money mindset, and I'm going to ask you this too, tell me about your school shoes. <laughs> tell me about your school shoes. Oh, Go on, you start. School shoes, well. Tell me about your school shoes. It's a long time ago. I did not get a new pair of school shoes every year, though. So I'm thinking about my older daughters, and they get a pair of school shoes every single year. I did not. What about you? Did you get new school shoes? No, I didn't. And I I understand that intimately because they're kind of a little bit big at the start of the year, and then they fit for like two terms, and then they're tired. Yeah. (laughs) And the reason why I ask that is because sometimes we can we can go back to something like that, which is very symbolic, you know, and I can just ascertain just a few things about people one were they keenly aware of the role that money played in their family because was it a stress every year how did your family react if you went through a growth spurt yeah interesting do people remember that stuff i mean yes they do wow i've got a terrible memory anyway but i'm just no but you you understand the flavor of that straight away you said it's one pair and i asked a group the other day i was filming something and Two of the guys said, oh, God, I don't even, 
I know I just had the same shoes as everyone else. And so I was like, oh, cool. So I can tell like you grew up in a family where either you were money wasn't a problem. It was just middle class or your family didn't talk about money because there's some people who had everything they needed. They didn't realize that their families were like really struggling behind the scenes. Yes. yes. And then other times someone's really wealthy, but their family makes them feel like they're, you know, they're so frugal that they felt like they were poor growing up. Totally. And so you have to dig a little bit deeper around things like that. But then here's the the value part. You say, how does that show up for you in your life and business today? Yeah, I love that. Are you allowed to have what you need when you need it or do you have to wait until something's like, you know, On sale or, yeah, yeah, really used up. Or It's really interesting because my family never spoke about money. So my mum and dad, I never heard them speak about money. I also never heard them argue and I also never saw them that they were about to get a divorce. So maybe I just didn't pay attention. (laughs) It could have been those things. But it's really interesting and it's work that you have to do. It's work I've had to do on on myself, right, because it shouldn't be kept a secret. It shouldn't be taboo. It should just be we've got to normalize this a bit. And I will do a shout out for bootcamp. Bootcamp's amazing. It's amazing for people to understand where they're at. It's amazing for you to surround yourself with people who are just doing that personal development on themselves. And I have been in your bootcamp, I don't know, about a year and I love it. And I came in going, I don't have many money blocks. And it's really interesting at what level you get the money blocks, right? Because it might not be that you've got them, but then you might start having a bit more in your business bank account or whatever it is and you just realize and so you've got to work through those stories but money boot camp is amazing so if you're listening and you're thinking i need to change my mindset jump on money boot camp oh thank you i appreciate that what got you into being a money mentor i really wanted financial independence because my mum never had that and my none of the women in my family did and they would say to me don't ever marry a man just you know get a career and don't even And I would look at them and think, why are you in these terrible relationships? And why? Because they had no choice. They had no financial independence at all. And so I kind of made this promise to myself that I'd always make my own money. And it's only really now, you know, almost 43, that I realized how much of that impacted me, but also how much I want other women to have that financial independence. I knew I wanted to, like, I knew that I was like, you know, help people, find some way to help people and make money. But it feels like a bigger mission for me now. You know, it feels like it's it's really part of, of what's important to me for my legacy, really. Is Money Bootcamp just for women? It's not, is it? Because I've seen some guys in there. This is a great question because when I wrote my book, it was called Chillpreneur First and the new edition is called Chill and Prosper. I remember seeing one of the um, reviews saying oh, all of her examples are about women and if it was for women, it should say for women on the top. Whatever. Yeah, right. So <laughs> yeah. a couple of years ago, I realized how much I was still saying things like female entrepreneur, female CEO. And I went, I'm actually just going to stop saying that because like men write books like that with no apology except for I'm centering my experience and mostly male experiences so I just thought I'm just gonna you know write about what I want anyone can experience it but I'm going to center women's voices in this I don't say men can't join but everything every part of you know 
is really about women. And also now, of course, you have to be more inclusive. And so I tend to, you know, say more women and people or women and non-binary people. But I get so many men who tell me that they read my books. But I'm just not going to center their experiences because I've read hundreds of business books and being able to filter it into my experience. So why shouldn't they? No offense, guys. Well, yeah, no, I think it's a good point. I don't think there are a lot of male authors out there and a lot of the stories are centered around the guy's perspective. So, and they don't, like you said, they don't apologize for that. They don't do four men. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. They don't do four men. I mean, you've written a number of books. Your latest, Chill and Prosper, well, it was Chillpreneur, as you just said, the new way to grow your business, make millions and change the world. Why did you change from Chillpreneur to Chill and Prosper? And do you think you can do both? Yes. Okay, cool. So I I started writing the book in 2016. I was breastfeeding my second baby and I actually picked up one of Tim Ferriss's books and I was reading it and I was going, Tim, why don't you write, you know, why don't you have more examples about women? And I just went, that's not his job. He can't even do that. Like he, he can't, he can only do it from, cool, here's this other woman. But I was like, I want someone to write a book what it's like to be like breastfeeding and <laughs> it's not, my book's not about breastfeeding. But just that feeling of just going, wow, like I never realized before that a lot of these books, they don't have to talk about get help outsourcing stuff at home because it just happens for them sometimes. And they don't realize it's just a nuance that I was like, oh, so I wrote it in, um, started writing it in 2016, handed it into my publisher, you know, like 17, came out 2018, something like that. And um, the world's changed in very subtle and huge ways, in lots of ways. So last year, my publisher said, look, we'd love a new edition because there's just, we want to be able to acknowledge in the business world that things have changed. And it's not like I needed to change tons of things, but the the tone was a little bit. Have you noticed that when you read books pre-pandemic, the tone's just a little bit different. It's like you had no idea what was coming. And, but the other thing, the other great opportunity for me is that people would contact me and say, that's great, but it doesn't work for my industry. Oh, or, that old chestnut. <laughs> yes. Or they go, well, I understand that that person can make it easier, but I'm not allowed to because my industry has rules and my industry has a a cap on what I can charge and my industry has this. So I wanted to put a lot of case studies in there, but also to acknowledge, you know, that the world has changed. The way that the name change came about is um, I loved Chillpreneur and I really had to convince my publisher (laughs) to to do do Chillpreneur. (laughs) Yes, because they were like, preneur, whatever. But also I can't use the word Chillpreneur out of anything besides books because Entrepreneur Magazine sues the crap out of anyone who uses preneur or entrepreneur in anything. It's so amazing that they have those rights, right? They do. And so I couldn't call my podcast Chillpreneur. I couldn't create a Chillpreneur, you know, follow-up course from the book. I couldn't do anything. So um, when we decided to do a new edition, I said, look, I really want a new cover because I didn't like the cover before. And they said, well, look, you know, it might be a good time to change the name. 
And I went, yep, great. Cause my podcast was already called chill and prosper. And it just, it just worked out perfectly. And of course I was just going to do a little light tinkle sprinkle on it. And I ended up rewriting the whole book because of course I did. And then even I handed it in on a Google doc. And I remember I stayed up until like one o'clock finishing the last bit. <laughs> I handed it in and the next morning. I went, I'm just going to go into the Google doc and just change. It was just like one word. I'm going to change this one word. And that's the problem with books. They're never, ever finished. They're never any finished. So I did um, to, obviously some people already brought the previous version. They're going, why should I buy the next one? I put a ton of pre-order bonuses in this as well for people as, and we're doing a live book club. So the link for that is denisedt.com slash prosper. And all the other cool thing though, is once I handed the book in, I got so many more lessons and like literally the day I handed in the book, I learned this massive big lesson that I wasn't able to put in the book because I'd already handed it in. So I could put that in. And then the book tour for the original version of Chilpreneur taught me so many lessons that again, I was able to put that story in the book. So I was, um, yeah, I was so thrilled to be able to, to do another, another go at it. And I'd still tinker with it. If they gave me a couple more years, I would still be tinkering with it. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, isn't it? When you write a book and you glue your bum to the seat and you write it, and sometimes it can feel tough and some other times it just flows and you think once you finish the writing I'm done <laughs> and then the editor comes back 50 million times and you're like no nah, I'm not done damn it <laughs> it's so hard I hate when they're always like you started this story but you didn't finish it and I go oh <laughs> yeah well that's quite important <laughs> look I listened to Chilpreneur uh, via Audible, I think it was. And um, I've put in a pre-order for Chill and Prosper. I can't wait. I think it's going to be amazing to get it into people's hands and have that ripple effect with more case studies and different bits and pieces. And I know you've banged out the bonuses for pre-order. So for anyone that's listening, get your hands on our copy. We'll put the details in the show notes. Yeah, for- thank you. But that's the lesson that I always have to learn is that over-delivering thing is so hard. Um, and I've learned it you know, really painfully over the last couple of years. But yeah, I'll tell you one of the stories where I said that um, after I handed in the book. So I was like almost nine months pregnant and I got asked to go on a TV show, you know, just one of those morning TV shows like Sunrise. I can't even remember what it was. And um, I was like, oh, <laughs> I just was like, I can't be bothered. I'm yeah. so tired. Fair, fair. Yeah, nine, but nine I didn't want to say no. Yeah. So I said, oh, okay, I'll do it in like, three months time. So I would have had like, you know, a eight week old baby. I'm three hours from the studio. Oh my goodness. They start hair and makeup at like six o'clock or something. It's not even my target audience. Who's watching a morning TV show, you know? And I was, but I felt like I couldn't say no. And I remember just stressing about it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to tell them I got into a car accident. I'm going to have to tell them I got explosive diarrhea. And then finally I just went, I can't make this work. And I also didn't want to make it work. And that's the hardest thing sometimes is we follow a system, we follow a mentor, we follow a blueprint without questioning, does this work for me? Is this going to be useful? Are my target audience even going to see this? Is it worth my time? And I think we're just kind of conditioned to say yes to everything. And that that's gendered as well, right? Of going, we want to be helpful. We want to be nice. We want to be kind. And that can impact our pricing. We feel bad about you know, if I really cared about this, I should make it free for everybody. And it's tricky. And I just want people to know that even though I've wrote a, written a book about it, I have to work on this as well. So the book's not coming from a place of, 
oh, look at my perfect life. I'm like, <laughs> look at my frictionless things. life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Here are all the things that I struggle with and here are some things I've put into place to help me. And here are some other people who have, you know, found a useful thing in here because it's messy. Yes. Yes, I love it. I love how honest and transparent you are. I do love that about your podcast too. You just like telling it how it is and that's just exactly what people need to hear, I think. Tell me, what are your top tips for entrepreneurs wanting to ramp things up and make more money? Okay, well, I think even the ramp things up thing is really interesting because I think sometimes it's almost like the wishing for the lottery, you know, and we think, oh, my next launch is going to have thousands of people and my next thing. And the truth is it is one thing at a time, consistency and being persistent. I have sent a newsletter out every week since 2009. Wow. So well, that's dedication. Well done you. But it's not, it's just going, I don't feel like it. I don't always feel like it. And my hubby um, is my marketing manager. And so he sent me a message. I need you to just check this email. It goes out next week. I'm like, oh. <laughs> do you, I or do you to. just tell him to do that? <laughs> Well, most of the time he just does it without me and I, I batch most of my social media content. So someone will say, I loved your email today. And I think, Which email cool, <laughs> I have no idea. Or they'll make a newsletter out of my podcast and I batch my podcast too. And so I just know I'm going to create things when I feel like it, but I am not my business. My business needs consistent marketing. And you just create structures to do that. And people think, oh, it's not real if it's not in real time. I go, it's real when I created it. And my two-step marketing process is share what you know. So just be honest about what you know, how you can help people. Make an offer. Yes, make an offer. So many people forget that bit. Well, they do. And that's why you see people who are like so giving. They have these free communities. They're giving, giving, giving. And then like timidly two three years in they go hey guys is it okay if you buy this ebook and people go no how very dare you because they expect that people should just give 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 for free and they feel so bad and it it doesn't have to be sleazy it's like hey you liked my newsletter the next step is book an hour of my time you know you liked my free tip on how to create a website do you want me to do it for you click into my calendar it doesn't have to be sleazy it's just like here's the next step and people will consume the free stuff and then they forget. They just forget. And that's fine. That's not their fault. It's just that you haven't told them what the next step is. There is a tipping point, I reckon, when you, especially when you're starting your first business. And I see it happen a lot. They give a lot of stuff away for free, but they never turn the tap off. Yes. And you have to make, you have to have a point where you go, okay, I'm valuing myself enough to charge. Free was good, but free needs to stop. I mean, you don't always need to, you know, like we send a newsletter out. We did it once a week for the last four years, and now we've transferred to two fortnightly, which is perfect for us. And all the free content, they still get the podcasts, they still get all the the blogs and, and the value ads and the checklists and all that kind of stuff. But at some point you have to go, enough now, just pop your flag down and just claim what you can do. And it's almost like, yeah, start, but just have some kind of cutoff point or some tipping point where you can start making money. I agree because sometimes we get into the space of always thinking we have to entertain people and it's like, well, your next step is to work with me, not for me to come up with endless different ways to entertain you. Here's the things. Exactly. Join my program. You have three kids. You're doing and what two you dogs. Want. And two dogs. Oh, we had two dogs until last year. I lost one. I know. I'm sorry. 
you are doing what you want, you're successful, but you seem to have it all and do it all. Do you ever stop to think and reflect, how the heck did I get here? (laughs) Not so much how did I get here, but I would say people would be surprised at how much imposter syndrome I have and my friends have who are successful. Yes. And I think one thing that was incredibly helpful to me in the first year of my business, I went to um, an Ali Brown event. Ali Brown, who's, you know, the first female millionaire I'd ever seen in real life. And she said on stage, she said, you know, I was a millionaire by 35 and I was 29, maybe 30 at the time. And I went, I'm going to do that. And I did. I was 35. It was two weeks before my 36th birthday. That still counts. Still counts. Still counts. counts. (laughs) But I, I looked at her and I went, oh, my God, like, I can't believe there is a woman that I can see with my own eyes. Like it was really eye-opening and I bought her course and all that kind of stuff. But I was at one of her events and I was going down to the party and her her and her team got in the lift and I was like, holy crap. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. And um, and she's like, hi, you know. Um, and I remember I said, I'm just, she goes, oh, yeah, you're the girl who's always on Facebook. And I went, oh. yes, that's me. I'm always on Facebook. But I said, can I ask you a question? And she said, yeah. And I said, when does the fear ever go away? And she goes, never. Oh, bugger. And I went, no, but really. And she said, never does. And I think because I heard that at such an early point in my business, I wasn't waiting for the fear to go away before I took action because I just went, I believed her. I went, oh, okay. So absence of fear is not my goal. Absence of fear is not my go signal okay, I guess I'm just going to have to do it anyway. And so I always try and then share that with other people because I want them to hear it in every part of their journey that multimillionaires still have imposter syndrome, you know, and yeah, and it can be really hard. Like I'll, I'll definitely get into stages where I just think, oh my God, I'm such a terrible person or I'm, you know, I'm not giving enough. This week, I've been so busy this week. I haven't been in my money bootcamp group the whole week. And I felt sick about it because I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm not there every day, you know, for my people. The, I only nine years in took weekends off from that group. Stupid, right? Horrible. But I still feel that guilt around it. And that's never going to go away either. So it's like, you have to just keep... <laughs> just keep swimming in a way and just going, I know I'm going to feel this fear. I know I'm going to feel the guilt, but yet I'm still going to move forward anyway. And more money on top of that doesn't necessarily make it go away, but it can, I mean, I can afford really great help in my business. So I'd rather have money and feel guilt than feel guilt and not have money. <laughs> if I had to <laughs> choose, I love if it. I had to choose, you know, it's, it's funny. Some people have said to me recently, like, Oh my God, Denise, you look so great. What, what's your secret? I go money. <laughs> It's money because I can afford I can afford to go to the doctor when I want to. I can afford to get facials. I can afford to get my hair done every week. I can afford to have someone to help me do my laundry when things are you know things are stressful. I can afford for someone to walk my dogs when I don't have the energy to do it. If my tires break on my car, it's not going to be a catastrophic stressful event to me. That gives you so much peace of mind. My mum probably slept in total fear of something like that happening that could derail our whole family. And so money definitely helps. It's not going to make your life perfect. It's not going to make you feel incredible every single second of the day. But it it's, makes things so much easier. It's a tool to make your life and other people's life better. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. 
Hey, it's been lovely to chat with you. Thank you for coming on Tea with the Queen. For those listening, uh, go in, pre-order, order, chill and prosper, and um, we'll put it all in the show notes. And um, we hope you've enjoyed Denise and I riffing today. And um, if you like what you hear, review, go listen to Denise's podcast. Same name, funnily enough, is the chill book, and Chill and Prosper. It's great. Thank it's you, got Denise. A little, it's got a little... Um, a jingle. I hired someone to do a jingle. I do for love me. the jingle. <laughs> it's not me. I didn't sing it. <laughs> you should have. Maybe that's the next iteration. <laughs> yes. Get ready to chill and prosper. It makes me laugh, but I can't sing. So. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, mmmcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.